You're listening to the Sunday Messages podcast brought to you by Cypress Creek Church. Anybody heard of the movie Legends of the Fall? Anybody? All right, a few of y'all. Yeah, I pulled the folks in the sound booth in the room back there. Nobody had heard of it. All right, so it's a it's way back in 1994 they made this movie, right? In this Colonel uh, Ludlow moves his family to Montana. It's set in the early 1900s. World War I breaks out and his three sons go off to war. Only uh, two of them come back. One of them dies in World War I. The other two sons, the older son stays to take care of the family farm and take care of his dad. And the younger son is Brad Pitt, played by Brad Pitt. He kind of goes out and and kind of sows his wild oats and, and lives his life away and comes back. And, and the, the movie's about the dynamics of the family in, in that situation. Now, if that movie doesn't resonate with you, or you don't remember that, or you weren't old enough to be, a, be here for that, then Yellowstone, anybody heard of that one? Yellowstone, it's a little more recent. Same theme, right? Dad, family ranch, Montana, Couple of sons, three sons, one dies very early on. The older son's responsible when the younger son goes off and marries a Native American woman, lives on the reservation with her, comes back. But the dad really loves the younger son and wants him to ultimately run the ranch. This theme plays out in movies over and over and over again because it's been around for a few thousand years. See, there was a story that Jesus told of this guy that we often refer to as the story of the prodigal son or the lost son. And that theme plays out in both of those shows that I just told you about. And again, over and over again in literature and over and over again in in movies and opportunities in art, because there's something in it that resonates deeply with us. So as we kind of come toward the end of this summer series on parables, which are just simple stories that Jesus told that ultimately unearthed deeper spiritual truths. That's what a parable is. We've been going through that this summer where we're gonna end up kind of in this, this next little bit of time talking about the last few parables. And this one, I think, is one that we couldn't go without having some discussion around because it is a powerful story that may be the most well-known of all the parables that Jesus taught. It's actually found in Luke chapter 15. In Luke chapter 15 Just to set the stage, it starts with verses 1 and 2, Luke 15, verses 1 and 2. And what's happening is he's about to start teaching. Jesus is about to start teaching. The tax collectors and the sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. Now, let me just make sure you understand that. The tax collectors and sinners, these are the people that have been disobeying God and disobeying his law and his order. They're gathered around ready to hear. And then the guys that were supposed to be doing it right, the Pharisees, the keepers of the law, it says in the next sentence, they were muttering, this man welcomes sinners and eats. They're complaining, basically. Look at all these folks he's allowing. He's hanging out with these people he shouldn't be hanging out with. He's not paying enough attention to us. We're the ones who are doing good. We're the ones keeping the law. Why isn't he spending more time and energy with us? Why is he wasting our time on them? And Jesus decides to address them through parable. And he does it three, he uses three stories right here in Luke chapter 15. Now, if you were here at the very start of this series in the summer, Jose started with the first story here. This is the parable of the lost sheep. All right. And there's a hundred sheep and 99 of them are doing good. One of them drifts off. And in the parable, the, the shepherd goes to find that one lost sheep. And then the second parable in Luke 15 is about a woman who has 10 coins. And these coins are kind of symbolic. A lot of people say of 10 is like the, it's like the marriage and, and the family and it's the wholeness of the family. And she loses one of those coins and she does everything in her power to find that lost coin. 
And then this last one is the parable of the lost son. These three stories are all there for a specific reason. Jesus is trying to address these guys and say, hey, let me help you understand how God looks at lost people. Let me help you understand what his response is to people who are lonely and hurting and down and out and disobeying. You want him to punish them, but he really goes at this completely different than you guys believe. And that's what he's using these parables to try to illustrate and straighten out. If we pay attention this morning, I think what we're going to find out is a little bit more about how God sees us. Now think about that for a minute. When somebody says, hey, how does God, how does God see us? I don't know what your answer to that question is, but it's worth pondering. Like, well, I know God is watching down. He's kind of keeping an account of what I'm doing, my rights and wrongs. Maybe that's how you see God. You know, or, you know, I see God. I know he's pretty judgmental. I know that he's pretty harsh. And I know that he's, you know, or maybe you see God as you know, your, your, your view of him is, well, he's just letting a lot of bad stuff happen to a lot of people. But maybe through this parable, you may find a new way to see how God looks at you and approaches you. Second thing we may understand is a little bit more about how we're supposed to engage the world how we show up in the world around us and with all the blessing that we have. And then the third thing that we may get from this parable is an understanding of how we should respond to the world and to God based on those perceptions that we have. So we're going to dig in here and look at Luke chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 11. So it's a, it's a fairly long parable. And again, some of it may be pretty familiar to you, but I think it's worth us digging in just a little bit. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, I'll keep going through, I promise. But just so you understand here, this idea of giving a third of his estate or giving his estate, giving, giving his portion of the estate. Well, the way it worked out, the oldest son got a double portion of everything. So the oldest son automatically, there was only two of them. The oldest son was going to get a double portion of the estate. That means a third of it was going to go to the younger son. Two thirds was going to go to the old. So a third of everything that the father owned. The Greek word there is actually not property. It's bios. It's his life. It's his livelihood. I mean, his land is what he uses to, to make money and to take care of his family, his, his, his animals. He had to get rid of a third of all of that in order to fulfill his younger son's wish in his inheritance. So it's a pretty big deal what the younger son is asking for. But the father does it. And then verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. I don't know what version you have. Mine in the NIV says wild living. Does it say that up there? Wild living. We'll come back to that in a second. Verse 14, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. 
The son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. All right, there is a lot there, but I think there's a few simple lessons that we can pull out of that. And I think the very first lesson that we have to look at is this idea of wild living and the opportunities that we have around us, what path we are going to decide to pursue with the blessing and the gifts and the talents that we have. Are we going to take everything that we have that the Father's blessed us with and are we gonna go out there and just try to satisfy our own desires? We're just going to try to do our own thing. Well, I can tell you where that ultimately leads. That level of unfaithfulness and disobedience and hedonism ultimately leads to death. And that's the first lesson that we need to understand, that this young man set out on his own, and he ended up in a spot where he was broke. He had nothing to eat. He had nothing in the way of resources. He squandered it all trying to just please himself. And as a result, I mean, I want you to understand the lowliness of being so hungry that he wanted to eat what he was feeding the pigs. That was better than what he had. He had nothing. Now, it doesn't go into detail there because that's not part of the story, but my guess is he probably had some fun there for a while. It probably was pretty cool. He had all these resources from his dad. He went to the new land. He was the new kid. He was the popular guy. He had all the money and he was spending it and he was drinking and he was spending time with women probably and he was doing inappropriate and unhealthy things, but he was probably fun and it may be like that for you. That may be where you are because the enemy wants you to enjoy this world so much that you lose sight of the father that created you and the father that longs for relationship with you. In First uh, John, I think, let's go to that. We should say first lesson, if you'll put that up there on the, on the, on the slide. We're gonna go through about four lessons. So the first one is that disobedience and the ways of the world will ultimately destroy you. They will. That uh, verse in First John 2, it, it talks about three different things. The love of this world, not the, the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. My guess is that son engaged wholeheartedly in the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. So the lust of the flesh are those desires or those experiences that we have to try to give us fulfillment or, or make us you know, enjoy the moment. Maybe, you know, we, we drink too much or we enjoy things we shouldn't be looking at pornography wise or, uh, you know, even sexual things that are inappropriate. Those are the things that are of this world. Those are the lusts of this world that do temporary satisfaction, but long-term incredible damage. The lust of the eyes is this covetousness. It's this, I want what everybody else, I want what that person has. I want that man's wife, or I want you know, my house to look like that, or we want what somebody else has. And then that pride of life, that last one, is kind of this arrogance, this boastfulness that like, well, I have what I have because I earned it, because I'm the guy, and I did all of this, and it's this self-aggrandizement. But all three of those ultimately lead to death, and that's what happened with this son. The younger son took his wealth and it led. His disobedience, his leaving, his, his moving away from the father led to all of that. 
But it's his response to that that really matters, and it's his father's response to him. So we'll go there because I think it's the second lesson from this little part, and I think it's incredibly important, and that is that the father is loving. He is compassionate, he is merciful, and he is forgiving. Uh, it says in there, man, I, I just want to read this again just so I get it accurate. Um, the father's response, okay? While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. I want you to get this in the story. Now, when I first read this, I, I got to tell you, I look at a lot of things through the lens of my, my own life and my family, and I'm thinking, I, I can tell you why he ran out there. Because his, this man's wife is not mentioned in the story. But I guarantee you, there was a long period of time where his wife was like, you did what? You gave him what? He went where? We haven't heard from him. What were you thinking? This dude's been sleeping on the couch for probably months. And he sees this kid coming back and he is like, praise the Lord, he is coming back. And he ran out. That was kind of my thought, probably what was going on. But I read some commentaries and they looked at it differently. They said, it's true though, right? Like, can you recognize your kids walk? Those of you that are parents, you like, if they're far off, you can, you can just see them by the way they walk. Right. I mean, I, that's just, that dad was looking, he didn't have life 360. He didn't have, you know, find my phone. They didn't know where their son was, but he was looking out and the, the picture of a God who is watching out and ready at any moment for a slight turn from us to run toward us. Now think about it for a second, because some of you guys are my age. When was the last time you ran somewhere? I mean, ran. Really? We don't. We, we get old. We get to an age and we quit running. Like we don't run. Like my kids run to stuff still. I mean, especially the younger ones, they run. Like it's like, hey, run to the car. Who gets the best seat? They run to the restaurant. They run places. Christina and I don't run anywhere. Like we don't. And if we did, you'd probably be like, what were they running from over there? <laughs> but why? Why do we stop running? Because running, man, that's what this man did. He was an older man and he ran because he had joy and he had this, this gratitude and this excitement of seeing his son again. He ran and, and he hugged him and he weeped. He was weeping. Now, here's, here's the thing that I want you to make sure you get, because I didn't get this the first hundred times I read the story. The man didn't know what the boy was coming back to do or say. He didn't. How could he have known? He was a long way off. He didn't know if the guy was coming back to ask for more money. He didn't know if he was coming back to brag about all of his exploits. But he knew that was his boy. That's what God does. That's what we do as parents, right? Doesn't matter. It's my boy. And he ran toward him. So I just I hope you understand the picture of God that Jesus is trying to paint in this picture. It doesn't matter where you've gone. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what sins you've engaged in. God is a father who is going to run toward you as soon as you make the smallest turn in his direction. So those verses on the screen are just examples of that. Daniel 9, 9, the Lord, our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We rebel. We choose that lifestyle. He gave us free will in the choice. That son made the choice. He gave him the rope to make the choice. 
He rebelled, and yet still, God's response is merciful and forgiving. And in 103, 13 of the Psalms, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Compassion is such a hallmark trait of God in the way that he responds and cares for us. So that's the second lesson is just a little bit about God from that passage. I think the third lesson is, is and maybe the most important, I'll tie it back to those other parables in this Luke 15 in a second, but is, is the, the posture of repentance, the humility of that younger son to repent, to return to his father, to repent of what he had done wrong so that he could be reconciled. It's powerful. He's there. He's, he's, he's away from his dad. He's away from his family. He's, he's feeding the pigs. He has nothing. And in his heart and in his mind, in that moment, he decides to repent. And it says in there, he says, I'm not even worthy to be called a son of my father, but I no longer want to live this way. So he returns. And then we just saw the verse where the dad. Now, here's the, here's the cool part to me. Right after the dad runs out. Well, let's do this. Think about it for a second. Son's coming back. Dad runs out. He could be good right there, right? I mean, the son could be like, my dad has just received me back. Hadn't said a word to him yet. We haven't had any conversation. He's received me back. And I got to tell you, there are times in our lives where that's where we are. We, we turn, we move toward God. He comes to us and we're like, whew, all right, good. I'm reconciled. And that son at that point had a choice. He could have said, all right, my dad still loves me about to throw a big party for me. And think of what his speech could have looked like at that party. He could have gone to the party and been like, you know what? I was away. It was a lot of fun. I got to tell you about some of the cool things that I got to do and the cool things I got to see. Ended up kind of running out. Now I needed to come back here and be with you guys and be with dad. I love y'all so much. That could have been his speech at the party. And that's our speech a lot of times, if we're honest. It's like, you know what? I, I know I did a few things I shouldn't have done, but God, thank you for loving me. Thanks for receiving me back. I, I'm glad I made that choice to come back to you and my willpower. I just made the choice to change my life and we can let it all be about us. But the son does something different. See, the dad runs out and he hugs him and the son said to him, father, he didn't have to say this, but he does. He says, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He reiterates it again. He had said it in his heart before he came home. He comes home and he says it again out loud to his dad. There's a powerful illustration of repentance in that. When we turn back to God, we need to turn back to him in a way and verbally say, I have, I have sinned. I'm not worthy of this. I surrender all. If you want your life to ultimately look different, you've got to get to that place of repentance where you're willing to verbally say to God, it's not me, it's got to be you. I don't have the strength to get my family through this. I don't have the power to overcome the enemy and all the things that are in my life. Lord, I surrender my will to you. Please rescue me. That's the posture of repentance that that son had. It's illustrated in Acts chapter two. It's when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent when they heard. Sometimes that's what it takes. You just got to hear God's word and it's so powerful and it speaks so clearly to you that you want to change your ways and you want to repent. 
Praise God if that's what happened in your life or if that's what's happening. For others of us, man, we, we've got to hit the bottom. We've, we've got to hit rock bottom and be so miserable like that son in the pig pen. But that's what it takes for us to repent. Whichever path, it doesn't matter. It's the power in that repentance, that act of ours is turned back toward God. The fourth lesson Actually, I haven't even read the part yet. So we're going to read the rest of the parable here for just a second, because there's actually a second character. And it's, it's honestly surprising to me because the, the, the other son, the older son, is so important to this message that it's interesting to me. We, God didn't title this the prodigal son, by the way, or the lost son. That's something we put on there. We people kind of put labels on there to try to organize things. I honestly think if God was going to title it, he would have said something like the story of two sons or the story of two sons and a, and a bereaved, loving dad, something along those lines, because the second son is really critical to the story. Picking up in verse 25, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him, what's going on? And the servant said, your brother has come home and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been striving, slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders Yet you have never given me anything, even a young goat, so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Literally, everything he has left is this older son's. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Uh, he's speaking to those Pharisees again, those, those keepers of the law, but I got to wonder if he's not speaking to us a little bit too, right? I mean, I, I don't want to step on your toes. I try to self-disclose as much as I can because I want you to understand I'm in the same boat as you. Man, I sit there sometimes and I say to myself, why is that guy prospering? Why, why are those people getting good things happening to them? Like, I, I'm here being faithful. I'm trying to serve you. I'm trying to do everything. I'm trying to keep all your laws. And look at all these other people that aren't even, they don't even care. And look how good things are going in their life. Now, that's probably just me. So thanks for the big therapy session and you guys all just hearing me out. But you may know somebody who's felt that way before. And that's what's going on with this older brother. It's like, dude, I'm being faithful. I'm being obedient. Here's the thing, though. The reality is the younger brother, he, he, he wanted control of his life. So he disobeyed and he left. The, the older brother, he wanted control just as much. He just wanted to get it through obedience, keeping the rules. The reality is neither one of them wanted relationship with the dad. The younger brother bailed. The older brother stayed, but it was so that he could get all the things that were there that were his dad's. He didn't want relationship with his dad. When it came right down to it, as a matter of fact, he made his dad leave the party and separate from the family to come out to deal with his emotions, his feelings. Man, there's probably a message in there for some of us. We can be like that last son, that our actions may be spot on, but, but our motives, our hearts, not in the right place. And believe it or not, out of the two, God would rather your heart be in the right place than your actions. 
because that's what he sees. When he looks at us, he digs down to that deeper level. The fourth point, our heart and motives need to match our actions. In the same way, he's, he's talking to another group of Pharisees in this Matthew verse. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Proverbs 16, 2, all a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Here's the thing, man, the, the, the older son had just as much opportunity to repent, right? And just as much opportunity to turn back to God and just as much need for that. So my hope is that you find yourself somewhere in that story, right? Maybe you find yourself as that, uh, as that younger son who's kind of pulled away and let the world kind of sweep him away from God. Maybe you find yourself as that younger son, but in the repentant place where you're moving back toward God. Maybe you find yourself as that older son who, you know what, looks around sometimes and is judgmental of other people and, and wonders why they're not getting more, why things aren't going their way better, why God isn't blessing them the way he's blessing others, when in reality, what he just really wants is a relationship with you. Wherever we are, the story makes a difference in people's lives. If you're a parent out there and you have a son or daughter who's a prodigal, who's kind of moved away from God and the faith that you kind of raised them in, man, I, my heart, it breaks with you because I know that must be incredibly difficult. And I hope the story gives you hope that God knows what it feels like to let a son go. Matter of fact, he let his son go to the point of death. Now, I hope for you that that turns around. And I know that this story can give us hope and we can pray toward that. Maybe we are that prodigal and we need to turn back. The, the key to all of these parables in Luke 15, the three of them, is, is a couple of things. One, there's a loving God who's pursuing us. And two, that repentance is just critical. That's our response. I know that because he actually, Jesus summarizes each of the three parables. Luke 15, seven, he says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Summarizing the second parable in verse 10, in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then finally, summarizing the last parable in Chapter 15, verse 32, he says, we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours who was dead has repented and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. God is ready to celebrate any turn you make back toward him. Let today be the day. Make a small turn back toward him and watch how he celebrates you with his compassion and his mercy and his forgiveness and his love. We'll end with this Zephaniah verse don't know much about Zephaniah, I'll be honest with you, but I like what it says here. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. He doesn't want to rebuke you. He wants to love you. He wants to rejoice over you. What a cool picture. What a cool dad. What an amazing God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the stories. Thank you for what they teach us. Thank you for the simplicity and yet the depth, Lord, that we can find ourselves in these stories. Um, we want to be a people, Lord, whose hearts, motives match 
our actions, and our deeds. So, Lord, help us to purify our hearts by repenting, by admitting, confessing to you. Lord, we, we fall short. We've pursued this world. Lord, we have gotten haughty and boastful in our own obedience. We, wherever it is that we are off track, Lord, we confess our sins and we repent. We turn back to you. Lord, I thank you for the illustration. I thank you for the love of a father who pursues. Help us to be those kind of dads and moms. Help us to be those kind of people as your children who receive your love. I pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Messages podcast. You can dive deeper into the messages weekly by subscribing to the Conversations podcast, where we dig into the previous Sunday's message, unpacking how we can apply it further in our daily lives. See you again next week.